Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That's right. It's time for Zach Hurd Idea Addict. Are you excited? You better be. We're all excited. I want to thank y'all for inviting me into your marital home. Uh, maybe not your, excuse me, maybe not your marital home, but your homes, your hearts, your minds. We got a great episode for you. It's another car episode. That's all I got. I tried to do one yesterday. Yesterday I was watching the, the children and uh, it was, I, I've kind of realized there's a kind of a rhythm to it. You have ebbs and you got flows, you have peaks and troughs of the craziness. So what I was trying to do is record during the troughs, you know, be feeding the little baby a bottle and then you know, have a snack and I would try to, <clears throat> try to rip one for y'all. Didn't work. The background, <laughs> the background noise was insane completely distracting I mean you get a little blinker in the car but that's nothing compared to a child just screaming into the microphone and I was like well I could edit it out L listen I love you people but I'm not going to be editing for four hours okay <coughs> the other thing is I know I don't really know how to edit I mean I can clip I, <laughs> I can shorten some dead time off the beginning and end but that, that's about it that's about it um, it's not where I live, okay? I'm the creative type, not the editing type. <sighs> so I ditched recording yesterday, and I was like, you know what? I love the movie Fletch. It's one of my favorites. Uh, so I, I, I popped on Fletch for the boys. Uh, they, they didn't get a lot of it. Uh, neither one of them can really talk, so they probably had no clue what was going on. Also, a lot of adult themes, you know? Part of the movie is he's, like, dodging his uh, ex-wife's lawyer. <laughs> They didn't really, uh, that didn't, <laughs> those jokes did not land with them. Okay. So, um, if you have kids under the age of two, trying to pick between like a Frozen, um, or, uh, what's the other one they're so nuts about? Coco Melon. If you're trying to decide between those and the movie Fletch, I would probably go with Coco Melon. I don't know if you're familiar with Coco Melon, but it's the number three most watched channel on YouTube. Pulling something like $12 million a month off ad revenue. It's actually genius because they just sing, it's just a sing-along show. They just sing like unlicensed un songs like Wheels on the Bus. And they do about every version you can imagine. Okay, I'm getting off track. So we got a lot going on with the house. Obviously with the children... And it's freezing out, so you can't, like, take them outside to go burn off steam. That was one of my main tactics in the summer is just go run them. Uh, you just go run them until they collapse. So we got a lot going at the house. We're trying to finish the basement. That's a disaster. You know, because my wife was like, hey, can you, like, frame some of this out for the electricians? And I go down there, and I, like, hammer a couple times. And then she's like, that's really disturbing the kids. It's like, well, I don't know what to do then put a sock over the end of the hammer. I mean, does that even work? <coughs> sock your hammer, they say. Never heard that term. Oh, here is something kind of interesting, though. We got carpet two years ago, like, to the day. <laughs> and, uh, we're a, we're a tidy crew, you know, I'm not somebody who vacuums every week, but, you know, we try to maintain to the best of our abilities, 
and the carpet was just slowly like deteriorating and it was like well it was cheap carpet but it wasn't like crazy cheap so we called Nebraska Furniture Mart and I got a I don't I have a lot of good things to say about Nebraska Furniture Mart they got great pricing their installers are like the best installers you can get because they actually pay them and give them steady work um we called them and we're like our carpet something's wrong with this so they sent out I didn't even know this existed they sent out a carpet <laughs> investigator who investigates issues with carpet, I guess, all kinds of flooring. <clears throat> at first, I had, like, pretty low hopes because the guy was a jerk at first. Then then I started, I put the charm on it because I wanted new carpet. We both did, you know. My wife started, like, massaging his shoulders and stuff. It got a little weird. <clears throat> but he's like, this carpet is actually in horrible shape. So they put a claim in, and we're getting a brand new carpet and they came in and they're like, just pick out something just close close in price. So my wife was like, well, I kind of like want to upgrade a little bit. So she got, she chose something a little bit more expensive that would cost us like, I don't know. I think it was like a little under a thousand extra. And we submitted it and they're like, all right, that's fine. And they didn't bill us for any overage. So Monday we're getting brand new carpet. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hopefully that deteriorates slowly over the next two years and we just keep recarpeting. Well, my mom also got new carpet too because she uh she just let the installers in and then she had to go to work and she came back at the end of the day and they were just finishing up and she's like this isn't the right carpet she's like it's the right carpet but it's not the right color and they're like really and she's like yeah and so they called the store i think it was the rest furniture part and they're like we'll just give it to you free we don't it's more of a hassle to like take the carpet up and bring it back and all that so merry christmas that's what's up so the other thing i've been trying to do you know, I've been doing the old dumpster, dumpster delivery, <clears throat> and I tried to uh, ratchet up the, uh, I don't know if I talked about this last week, I tried to ratchet up the the junk removal because it's like, well, it is a pain, it, it does suck, but uh, you can make actually pretty good kashish doing that. Uh, last Friday I made like, I think I made like $1,100, and <laughs> I worked like six hours, it's pretty easy. <laughs> and then the following Monday, I made like 800. But uh, it's hard to find like reliable help doing that because you can't hire somebody really full time. I've been using my cousin, but he has his own life to live. You know, um, he's got some stuff going on. And he's trying to get a real job uh, or go to postgraduate school. So doesn't really <clears throat> probably doesn't want to pick up trash. Hey, I get it. You know, it's not for everyone. Uh, so I was like, well, what, what, what are some other things I can do? And I, I, I sell good stuff that I find. Like I have these, I got these ping pong tables I'm trying to sell and they're like $400 new. I'm trying to sell them on Facebook. And I usually have really good luck on Facebook selling stuff. I've only sold two of them. Then I, I stumbled onto the, you can like set up a little account on Facebook where you can like, it's basically like turns into like Amazon, the marketplace you can sell stuff anywhere. So I was like, well, that's like kind of intriguing. And I've tried to do some stuff in the past, but I just couldn't make the numbers work. Well, in trying to finish the basement, your boys always go into Menards, which I think I've had some Menards rants in the past. It's like the people who work there have nothing but hatred in their heart for you. <laughs> One time me and my cousin were in there. And I was trying to find, I was trying to patch a, I don't know what I was trying to do. I need a certain kind of nails. And I went up to the guy in the hardware department. And I was like, hey, do you have these uh, nails? They're for, like, paneling. 
they're about an inch long and they have a they're like shanked you know and the guy's like any nails we have are right in this area and like pointed to the whole hardware section and I was like you people are really helpful <laughs> you guys are great people down here at Menards thanks a lot asshole and they, try, they take anything back in return, but the people are so mean. I think that's part of it. It's like, we'll take anything if you can handle the people to return to us. Oh, we've got into some arguments down there. Um, where am I going with this? Oh, so I was walking through Menards, and they always have this stuff right inside the door. That's for, like, they just buy random, uh, like, overstocks from other stores or something. So it's like, you can go in there and get, like, a bar of soap for, like, you know, a, a packet of, uh, soap for, like, $4. You know, really good, really good deals. And it's always weird stuff, you know. Uh, ketchup, <laughs> ketchup, mustard, uh, canned food. I mean, it's always weird stuff. But then, but now they started, like, doing some little electronics, which that's, like, the perfect kind of stuff to sell with shipping. It doesn't weigh anything. So I went in there just to peruse around, and uh, then they have like a weekly, they have like weekly sales. So I picked up a, a, a weekly ad thing, and they do have some like pretty cheap stuff. So I've been trying to sell that on Facebook, and because some of it too, if you send in the rebate, it's free. <laughs> so it's like the one of the things, the thing that's getting the most traction online is like a set of, uh, I want to say Tupperware, but it's not really Tupperware. It's like plastic storage stuff uh, that you can put your like lunch in or whatever snaps together so I, I scooped up some of those bad boys and uh, well I didn't buy them I just keep track of how much stock each store in Omaha has because there's like six stores um, but after I buy it, it, it and then I send in a rebate it cost me like $1.99 so it's basically and some of the stuff you send the rebate in and it's free <laughs> so there's like a pair of like work gloves I have listed. If I send the, the rebate in, it's free. So that's pretty sweet. But it's, it's just not getting anything. And then the other thing is, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like everything like on Facebook Marketplace or like Amazon, uh, especially Amazon, it's like all just kind of the same garbage. And it's all... You know, there'll be like three sellers and the same product will be branded as like three different things and it's all the same crap. You know what I mean? So it's all like that kind of stuff and people must buy it in like huge amounts and then they like sell it for like $4 and then like $10 in shipping. So I, I always see these things online where people are like, yeah, I'm doing drop shipping and I'm making like $100,000 a year or like 500000 It's like, I don't know if that's possible. You have to do so much volume and people don't like really need, like one of the things that, I actually got a good, found a good deal on is a, a wireless Bluetooth speaker and I, I'm selling mine for like $19.99, but there's even crappier ones out there. People are selling for like $5. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to, if you're saying you're making two or $300,000 a year, you got to be selling like a large volume. I'm not going to sit here and do the math. Um, that's straight up crazy, isn't it? So I'm not buying that. I mean, I suppose it's possible someone's doing it, but I sure can't figure it out. So that's kind of the week in review as far as the dumb stuff I'm trying. But let's just roll right into the the idea of the week. And I actually have a, a double idea. And we're going to get to that right after these brief commercial messages. All right, we're back. Zach Kirkwood, Idea Addict. 
Sorry, folks. Had to take a short commercial break. You know the, uh, you know what it's all about. So today I got two ideas. Um, one of them I know is I haven't talked about. The other one I may have mentioned previously, but it's coming back, and I'll give you the information on why it's coming back. I don't think I talked about it, but. Um, but we'll get into it in a minute. But the first one, now, when we had our second child, I was like, well, I like doing the dumpsters, I like doing all that stuff, but it's like, it would be really good if I could just do something from home, so I'm home more, um, because you're only going to see your kids at this age one time, and it goes pretty fast, and then they're going to be teenagers, and they're going to be in their motorcycle gangs and all that, you know, uh, <laughs> Speaking of that, my wife wants to get a, a a golf cart to like drive around the neighborhood because a lot of people in our neighborhood do that. I don't know why, um, but I was like, yeah, that seems really fun until they're like ten and they're taking it off jumps and shit. They're, these kids are nuts, uh, honestly. Um, so I was like, well, what can I do from home? So I started, you know, I'm a big in. I started checking out different ideas and such. And uh, I've always, like, thought I wanted to make money somehow on the Internet. It seems easy on the outside looking in. And uh, during, like, 2019 to 20 and 21, me and my wife were like, you know, you know what would just really kill it? Is like, a news like a news website because people click on that and then it, it gets they get a lot of clicks they get a lot of attention they get a lot of likes or whatever and then you just throw ads on there you know and I, I was on Flippa which is a a website where people buy and sell websites they built some of the top ones are like news websites uh, either left leaning or right leaning um, partisan stuff um and they, like, do pretty good numbers. Now, the, the drawback is, like, you have to get lots and lots of views. You have to have lots of people go to your site because that because news sites are not... If you're going to a news site, you don't have, like, really int any intent on buying anything. You're just looking at the news. Um, so there's no intent to purchase. And so you don't get a good return on... Uh, you don't get a lot of money like per person, like per view or per click, because their intent is low. Does that make sense? So, <clears throat> if you had a, uh, a website like the Penny Hoarder, is a really good one. That website, yeah, Penny Hoarder. That website was literally just started to write app, to write copy and stories about like the benefits of driving for Uber, because at that time, if they like recruited somebody through their uh, through their link, I think they got like a thousand dollars. Um, and then they went on to, to write about a lot of other financial stuff and any kind of financial stuff. Uh, there's more money in that because people have more intent if they're going there to an article about, say, different kinds of car insurance and you have car insurance ads. <coughs> but in the news website, you have to get like the ones I've seen, and one of them that I saw, and I think the people wanted like. 
quite a bit, like 700000 or something. And it made between like twenty dollars and $15,000 a month on ad revenue. But they were getting like two to three million, like two to three million views. And it wasn't even a website I ever heard of. So you have to spend a lot of time and effort like getting a lot of traffic. And I was like, well, that's intriguing because that, for me, I follow politics. So it wouldn't be that hard to write the stuff. But then I was like, well, do I really want to be looking at the news every single day? Not really. And then the other thing is like that amount of traffic, you have to almost get paid ads. You know, you have to pay for stuff. I don't like that. So I'm just still looking around and looking around. And I don't, somehow I stumbled onto like food blogs because I was looking for like, how do you make money with like blogs? Or like, what's the best money making blog? I was searching all these things. And, or how much do blogs make? I kept running across these like food blogs, like recipe blogs and cooking and all that. And uh, one of the most <clears throat> one of the most popular ones, I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> I didn't really show prep that much. <clears throat> it doesn't really matter. One of the most popular ones was like a husband and wife, and they did. It was basically all just cooking like recipes, um, and they came up with their own recipes. Now, on the surface, you're like, well, that seems really difficult, coming up with my own recipe. I'm not a, I'm not Bobby Flay over here. You know, I didn't go to the Cordon Blue Institute. But here's, like, the thing with that. You don't really have to do that. All you have to do is take someone else's recipe and then, like, make a minor change to it. And so they have this recipe blog, and... And every month they posted like everything about it, all the financials to it. So all of how much, how many views it had, how much it made, all the different sources that the, the their money came from, and then all of their expenses and like all of them, like in a spreadsheet. <laughs> like if you went to sell a business, everything you would get, uh, how much they were paying their staff, how much they were spending on freelancers, uh, how much they were spending on video editing, everything. So I was like, well, this is like really good information. So I started digging a little more and it's very common, I guess, in like the cooking and recipe blog community to post everything that you're doing. And this one website, I think it's called like a pinch of flavor or something. They're all dumb, like have dumb names. And this website was making a lot. Like, it was making over a million dollars a year. And they had they had good traffic. Not not a ton, but they have, like, a lot of repeat traffic. And they also had, like, a really big email list that they spammed out to every couple days. So then I started digging, and I found some other websites. And these were, like, small websites that had only been around, like, a year or two. And one of them I ran across, and she put every month and then she also put like how often she would like put content up and, and her traffic and her traffic was like 60,000 views like unique views a month um, and her website was making like four or five thousand dollars a month uh, that's like really good for that amount of traffic and then she put like how often she would like put a piece of like original content like a new recipe out and there's some there were some months where she only put out two things, two new pieces of content. So I was like, holy cow. And uh, 
so then I started like thinking more about like the cooking, a cooking blog. So like, let's say you need a recipe. So you fi you find this cooking blog, and one of the tricks if you've ever like looked at a cooking blog is they're like really long. The blog post before the recipe is usually like you're scrolling a while. You know, it's maybe like a thousand words or eight hundred words before the recipe. Well, all that time that you're scrolling, there's hyperlinks to Amazon associate links to like, oh, you know, when I was cooking this, I was thinking about my grandma and we always use like this kind of wooden spoon and you can buy one here on Amazon, just tons of that. And then banner ads and then stuff on the sides. And then you get down to the recipe, use the recipe or whatever. And then it's like, well, you can like sign up for our, uh, we send out like free recipes. Uh, if you sign up today, we'll give you like a our ebook of like the 50 best recipes for whatever. I don't know. Um, so then you sign up for their like email and then they have you because they're constantly like giving you stuff. And it's like, Hey, we do come check our, you know, they, they put ads in the email and then like, Hey, come check out our site. We did like a live, we're doing like a live cooking event or something. And then you go there and then there's like ads there. I mean, it's just ad, ad, ad. And then the other thing is like, I have all these products to sell too. And then the, and then the other thing is once they have their, uh, once you get this going, once what these people do is <laughs> once they get it profitable, then they kind of have a whole different side of their website where it's like how to build a profitable blog, buy our ebook or like buy our course for how to build a profitable blog, and then you go all the way down that rabbit hole. So it's like they on the front end it's useful material. And then they literally have you in a sales funnel for like a million different things. And like the sky's the limit as far as like how much different, how many different products they can sell and how many ads, how much ad space they can sell. It's actually like ridiculous. So I was like, that is like a really, really good idea. Um, I was talking to one of my cousins about it and he's an engineer or excuse me, he's an architect, works in an architecture firm. He's like, oh yeah, like one of the guys I work with has like a, just a, like he reviews pizza just in locally. And he's like, and it makes him like uh, four or five hundred bucks a month. And but he's like, he gets like free pizza like every week. <laughs> Ridiculous. And he's like, he just does it like really part time. You know, takes some high definition pictures of like pizza. <clears throat> so I went to. Uh, if you ever have something like a blog idea or something like online, especially blogs, I I've heard this before. Is what you do is you get some like. I call it tasty. I call it beautiful bean footage. <laughs> I got that from the Bush's Beans commercial. Uh, what you do is you take some beautiful bean footage and you just, you, you create like some account on Instagram. And mine was like, I don't know, food unfiltered or something. It has to be there. They all seem to be have silly names. So I just went with it. And then you, uh, I just put up like pictures of food. And I was like, huh? What do you think of that? Does that do anything for you? <laughs> and it got they got likes. And nothing insane, but they got like a lot of likes. Now, if you want to do a news one, I have a a political, a partisan political Instagram. I'm not telling you what it is. <laughs> and I put stuff on there and that it blows up. I mean, I get like hundreds of likes, tons of comments, people fighting in the comments. It goes nuts. Like it was getting like so much interaction that I stopped doing it. Cause I was like, okay, this is getting like a, some of this is getting like a little, I'm not, 
I don't love this. You know, I don't want people coming after me. It was getting a little intense. But the food one was actually doing some, like, pretty good work. All you have to have is somebody to, like, <laughs> follow you or repost something like, you know, Guy Fieri or something like that. And it's crazy. So if you want to do something internet-based, my problem was, I, I talked to my wife about it, and uh, I was like, I only know how to, like, make really childish dishes, you know? How to heat up a Hot Pocket, you know? That's not going to go anywhere. It has to be, like, good stuff. The other thing is, I was like, and this is true of any blog, you have to put, like, a lot of work into it. To get, you, have to write a, you have to write a lot of content. I mean, you're basically like a journalist. So... But if you're into that, if you don't mind that kind of stuff, uh, then we we good. So that's what's up as far as that goes. But we're going to jump right into the next one, which has a little bit of a backstory. Okay, they all have backstories. Facts tell, stories sell. Remember that right after these messages. These messages are actually brought to you by Paradise Junk Removal and Dumpster Rental. Okay. Be back in a minute. We are back. I think that might actually be our last commercial break, y'all. <laughs> okay. Uh, Zach Hergert Idea Addict. Taking over for the 992000. We're, uh, we're going to get right into the next, the next deal. So, uh, I'm trying to toot my own horn, but daddy's put away some money. So I put some, uh, over the years, uh, you accumulate cash, hopefully. And, uh, I got some stuff sitting on the sideline. Well, a lot of us do, right? So I'm a real estate guy. I was like, so I started looking into rentals. I was like, daddy wants a rental. It seems secure. I, I know a thing or two about rent and such. Um, I started looking into it, fiddling around, trying to find the right thing, you know. So I can basically, I can I can actually find some, like, decent deals uh, for rentals where you would actually would cash flow a decent amount. Uh, but they're not exactly in areas that I... <laughs> They're getting a little rough areas, and, and that's kind of the way that, like, uh, the rentals work. For a, a better cash-flowing property, you have to kind of be in, like, a C neighborhood. We're not talking war zones here, but, like, a C neighborhood um, where you can get something for cheap, get a good um, get a good spread, you know. I, I found somewhere I could buy it for maybe, like, 40 grand, put 20 into it. And then maybe rent it out for like eight or nine hundred dollars, maybe a thousand, depending on what I, depending on how it all shakes out. <sighs> and you could leverage that up to where you had a couple of them. So I was like, well, that I mean that is appealing. People people definitely make some people definitely make a living doing that. They make some damn good money on the side doing that. Is that who I want to be? Is that where I live? So I was looking at that and. A lot of them, it's like, well, this is going to be like a lot of work, and tenants are like huge headaches, and is there something easier 
you know, so I looked at the stock market and then some stocks and all that. And it's like, unless you're like literally sitting at your computer all day, all you can really do is like buy mutual funds and ETFs and whatnot. The basics. <coughs> um, and I don't like really know what I'm doing with that. I mean, I, I, I'm enough to be dangerous, I guess. I don't know. Um, so we were like sitting around chatting, me and the wife. And uh, when we do flips, we use a guy, great guy. He's our hard money. He's our lender. We just we just borrow money from him for a number of reasons. One is it's really fast. Two is it's like he can get us as much money as we want. And three, if we like want to also have him finance all the repairs, he'll lend us the money for that too. Um, and the other thing is. Uh, we've been doing it a lot with him, so he's like pretty flexible on like the terms or whatever. Uh, so it works out really, really, really good for us. And then too, then we have our own money, so we're not at the beginning we were like borrowing as little as we could, and then like using our own money. Well, that's like really stupid because it's like I'm already doing all the work. I don't want to be putting my own money into it. Worst things that happens is it goes sideways and he gets the property, and then you know, and he would still make money. We know each other. So this guy, he does this um, for people doing flips, but that's not really like what he does it. He does it for that, but you have to like really, he has to know that you actually have some clue what you're doing. So he knew that we already kind of knew what we were doing and he knew our parents. And then also he's, he's our agent too. So he could also like go in the MLS and be like, okay, well these people are actually selling houses too. So they have some sort of income outside of flipping. <laughs> that was true at the beginning, and then it kind of turned into all flipping, and now we're going back to mostly selling. So at the beginning, the way he was doing it is he has a bunch of rentals, and then he would just take take out. They're all, like, paid off, I think. And then he would just get, like, huge lines of credit. And then, so he was paying, I don't know, one and a, 2%, 3%, whatever, and then he's like lending the money out at 10%. That's what he lends it to us at. I know you probably don't like that, but that's how the game's played. You're not going to get a bank to loan you money on doing flips, homeboy. And if they ever did, by the time you'd have to, it wouldn't even be possible. They're too, banks are too slow. Um, in order to get the, get the house and get it under contract, you got to be like fast. You can't be dicking around with a bank wanting to do appraisal. They won't even let you do an appraisal if you're buying a flip. You know, so it's like, well, he's making like a damn good spread. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of points um, and an origination fee. So he does a, a couple flip people doing flips, but it's mostly like people who ha are like self-employed and they can't get a loan. And then what they do, or maybe they have like a blip on their credit or something, but overall their credit has been good. So I'll just loan them the money for like three years, and then once they uh, have been self-employed for three years, then they just refinance him out of it. So he gets a 3% origination fee and then 10% a month. Interest only. There's no pay down. So I was like, well, maybe we should take the money that we have uh, on the sideline and like lo loan it out to other people for purchase prices or like remodeling or whatever. 
the worst thing that would ever happen is we would get the house and we know what we're doing. We could turn a profit on the house and we would also be underwriting the loan. So if we didn't like the deal, we'd be like, we're not lending you on this. That's the other thing. When we like loan, mo loan money for him, we're like, this is the house we're buying and he's an agent. So we can look at it and be like, all right, that looks good to me. Um, but now he like pretty much trusts us. He's not really scrutinizing anything. Probably because I'm putting a lot of money in his, uh, <laughs> I'm giving him a lot of money. So I was like, well, maybe we should like get into that. And then we did a deal with him and he was like, I don't have enough money, but I have another like buddy who's like, wants to get into this. So we like got a combination, a little bit of his money and a little bit of the other guy. So he's paying the other guy, I don't know, whatever, 6% or 5%. And then he was getting another 5% for himself. Now that's what's up. And there is a market for this. There's a flipping market for this. People used to do this for, uh, they were called wet closings for like a wholesale. So let's say, I don't know if you know what a wholesale is for, this is real estate terms. So what a wholesale is, is you'll find somebody who's willing, you're, a real estate agent can't do this, it's illegal. <laughs> um, well, certain states, we don't need to get into that. I'll just give you what it is. So you go find someone who's like willing to sell, sell their house, you go look at it and you're like, okay, well, for easy math, I'll give you 60 grand for your house. And the people are like, uh, okay. And you're like, but I need uh, 90 days to close. And then you just sign uh, a contract with them that says, um, I'll, pay, I'll buy your house for this price um, sometime in like 90 days or whatever. And then you go out and you market the house for sale for 75 grand. And then you find a buyer for 75 grand you assign your purchase contract to the new buyer, and then you do a dual closing. So you buy the house and sell it at the exact same time, and then you make 25 grand, or uh, you buy it at 60, you sell it for 75, you make 15 grand. That's called a wholesale. Now it used to be that uh, you could do what was called a dry closing, where you could buy the house and sell it without any any money changing hands because they would just walk the thing over to the next room. Well, they changed the rules in a lot of states on that. And now the now you have to have it funded. So no bank is going to give you money to like do a wholesale. But private lenders will. So I've read, I've, I've listened to podcasts of guys who have done this. And um, one guy made like 50 grand in one day in like two hours, just just funding a wholesale. And he was like, my, my money was only out of the account for about two and a half hours. <laughs> it's pretty good, huh? Is it not? So that's a little idea. If maybe you have some cashish or some assets you'd want to leverage. Get in the private, private lending game. Now there's more competition in that than there was like five or 10 years ago, obviously for good reasons. But if you're in a, in a market Depending on what market you're in, it could be good. You know, Omaha still uh, would it would still work in Omaha uh, because all the uh, everything that's going on it would work. And you, you'd basically just be making money <laughs> doing nothing, which is really good. And like I said, for me, it wouldn't be that big of a deal because if I got the house, I could just finish the flip. You know. 
Because if they ever go over on their construction budget, that doesn't bother me. I don't care. Okay. No hand-holding, though. You get the house. Really good stuff. So those are the two ideas. Um, obviously, one's a lot lower risk than the other one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Damn, y'all. Um, got a little bit of a cold. Don't worry, it's not the fiddler. <laughs> not that I know of, anyway. I just had it. I'm inoculated. The old-fashioned way. So those are the ideas. Now, I'm like... I am struggling to find any businesses for sale that I think are even, like, worth anything. Like, worth looking at. Um, and I think there's a lots of reasons for that. People are kind of like with the money lending thing. People are... They have more money now, or they think they have more money. So people are buying businesses or, you know, not as many, not as many good businesses are making it to these, like, uh, websites which I guess we would call it like the secondary market in a way, because it's like, if you have real buyers, as soon as you list a business that meets someone's criteria, you just call them. Or you call another broker that you want to work with. So we, we don't have a lot of good, really good businesses for sale that I've found. And if you are somebody who wants to buy a business, which I think is a great idea, you know, buying a business that's solid, is one of the best ways to uh, to build wealth because you know a business that's been in business for 20 years that you're buying already has all the it's already established. I mean, you're just hopefully you're just filling orders. By God, hopefully the people are just retiring. They just want out. Speaking of just wanting out. <laughs> My anniversary is on uh, New Year's Eve. Seemed really cool at the time. <laughs> Let me tell you something, kids. Thinking about getting married? Don't get married on Christmas or uh, New Year's Eve. It's a pain in the ass after you get married. Why? Well, maybe you want to go out to dinner. Well, you better make your reservations a couple months in advance. Because every re every good restaurant we ever try to make reservations at, they're like, okay, we got a ten. We have ten thirty at night. Or we have a five in the afternoon. Everything in between there is booked. If they even have any times. And because of Christmas and all the other bullshit you have to deal with going up to New Year's Eve. You, I, we always forget about it until like the day after Christmas. So you're never going to remember unless you put it like in your calendar. But you're going to be fighting with your family over Christmas so much you might not even look at your calendar. Do you get me? So we found some techniques. If you do decide to do this, we found some techniques. And what you do is as soon as you remember, you hop on the phone. You put your you put your talking hat on. You get yourself a cup of coffee and a cigarette. And you just start calling. And you have a list of maybe five or ten restaurants. And you just start a calling. And you get on everyone's list. It doesn't matter what time you're on the list at. Okay. And then what do you do? Two days later... Make the calls again. See if you can get a better time slot. Now here's the kicker. Here's where it all comes together, if it's going to come together, is you call the day of. <laughs> because that's when most of the uh, people cancel. But it is a pain in the ass 
<coughs> we had a couple reservations, and we had a, we had a good reservation at a place called Anthony Steakhouse. And then I made a backup reservation just in case we didn't get there on time. That's the other thing. With two kids, you gotta have backups. We had another reservation at a place called Fleming's. A Fleming's is incredibly expensive. Anthony's is like a little more expensive uh, than like a normal restaurant. Or so I thought. So we go to Anthony's. It's totally packed. Anthony's is like really popular. It's been around in Omaha forever. It's like the steakhouse, you know. What are we, third, fourth generation? Somewhere in there. So I, uh, I feel real comfortable. No problems. We get in, we go in the first door and they're like, uh, we're not, you need to go to like the other door. Other door? They're like, yeah, go down this way. So we walk down that way and we're like, yeah, we're here for this, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, okay, follow us. And then they put us in like a dining hall in between. They have a band on the north side of the building playing and a band on the south side of the building playing. That's a big building, but we're sitting in the middle. So we're getting like both sides of the music, number one. Number two, there's like no one in the dining area. So obviously there's lots of red flags and we're so the time we can't make it to Fleming's. It's too close. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work. So we go through and have the meal. The meal is absolutely disgusting. My steak is totally shit. Um, and then after that, it's $150. Neat. So it turns out like a week later after that, Anthony's, um, announces, they put out like a press release that they're like closing their doors. They want out. They don't want to deal with rising food prices. They don't want to deal with mask mandates because Omaha has a mask mandate, but none of the like uh, suburbs do. So people are like, I'm not going there. If I have to wear a mask, I'll just go to Papillion. You know, I'll go somewhere there isn't a mask mandate. I don't have to deal with it. Inflation plus mask mandates equal family-owned restaurants going out of business. <laughs> God knows I've cautioned you people against buying a restaurant or getting involved in that. Don't do it. It's not worth it. If a third generation operator can't deal with it, then how are you going to deal with it? What, where am I going with this? So <laughs> that's just a little side story. So, like I said, I've been struggling finding any good businesses. Um, the key is, Hopefully, if you want to buy a business, you actually like know the industry you want to buy a business in. So my advice to you would be go to these big sites like Biz Buy Sell and the other ones like that. And uh, whoops, find some things in your market, the kind of business you want. Maybe it's not the great the greatest deal. Find out who the broker is and go to their website because that's where they're going to find the better, the better uh businesses and usually good business brokers only deal in a couple different sectors you know there's like a guy uh, there should be there's a guy in uh, Pennsylvania and he just does like manufacturing businesses uh, you know and there should be a guy like that for everything that you find you know there's people that just do uh, sanitation businesses and people who just do restaurants you know so if you want a sanitation business find those guys who do that and then contact them directly prove to them you're a real buyer and then you'll get the good deals the things online are those are shitty deals wouldn't be online for six months if it was a great deal right just like a house the good ones go quickly and quietly 
<laughs> they don't take forever. They're in and out. So there's a, uh, a place in town. It's called The Firm. She has some good listings here and there. She co-lists a lot of stuff, I think. But one that kind of caught my eye, I don't know anything about this industry, so I don't know if it's good or not, but it's a uh, corporate training and coaching business. And it's for uh, coaching and training on safety. And, and it just does, they just go in, they do safety audits and training and coaching at uh, manufacturing facilities and factories, mostly in the South. It's based in... Uh, northern north louisiana and it says uh 80 of their business is in 150 mile radius makes sense right most manufacturers in the south now and then the other 20 percent is nationwide i believe they have a staff of eight people they're asking it's a big one folks <laughs> okay don't get scared it's 2.1 million 2 million 125 thousand is what they're asking cash flow is 612 though Pretty good. 45% profit margin is what they're saying. Obviously, I haven't examined the books. But I thought that was interesting. They also operate, they also get a, tons of government grants. Uh, they have uh, two full-time grant writers on their staff just gobbling those grants up. So I do like that. Obviously, there's a market for that. And everyone knows big corporations. They love their little consultants and their little training companies that come in and hassle you as an employee. Get your hard hat on, or we can't wear jeans. But I think that's good. The other thing that I like about that is like that's more like an intellectual property. You're not producing anything, so you have all the the answers. It's like a, a coaching, an education, stuff like that is easy. It's not easy, but once you have it, it's just like your high school teacher. She wrote that crib. She wrote the lesson plan. I can't say it. She wrote that bad boy 12 years ago. You know, there might be some tweaks, but it's about the same thing. You dig? So that's what I like about that business. That's also a good profit margin, obviously. Um, another thing, too, is like if you're living in northern Louisiana and you're making 612, you're doing all right. The people are retiring, so they're selling it for the right reason. But uh, that's the business for sale of the week. Like I said, no, I didn't really, I, I did a little cursory uh, searching. I didn't really find anything that got me, got me going. Oh, there is a uh, big scrap metal yard for sale in Northern Virginia that, that looks pretty good, but it's 12 million. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about that. That's too crazy. 12 million. Come on now. So uh, I won't get too, in, too into that. Um, it's not for everyone. Scrap metal companies do make money, though. You're just trading commodities, basically. Um, Talking about... So this is with the three critiques of the week. I only wrote down two. Gonna have to go... <laughs> gonna go out, have to go off script, y'all. Now, one is, is so near and dear to me. It's so near and dear. But when I look at it from the outside looking in... It's, not the best, and that is a trucking business. Now, I have a roll-off dumpster business, which is essentially a miniature. It's just all it is is a miniature uh, trucking business. You pick up a load from A, bring it to B, you know, dump it in between. It's just a trucking business. Now, the good thing about what I do is the things I'm carrying have no value. 
<clears throat> so that really helps with, uh, as far as like rules and regulations and government, whatever. I don't have to, uh, keep a chain of custody or anything like that. You know, it's just trash. There's no value. So if I were to turn over, God forbid, if I were to roll this thing and the shit fell out on the street, I wouldn't have to reimburse anything for the damaged cargo because it's trash. So that's a major plus for what I got going on. So one of my buddies has a, uh, uh, a business and he, he has four semis and he has four, this could affect the audio here. We're on a rough road. He has a, I'm going to pause cause this is going to get bad. Sorry. All right, guys, I'm back. Sorry about that. Uh, I was driving on like some really rough gravel. I didn't want like there to be a bunch of background noise, but so the critique here is uh, owning a semi, like driving a semi, having a business as a semi, or uh, having a business driving a semi. And uh, the the thing that got me thinking about this was one of my buddies has a a little business where he has four semis and he hauls around grain just in Nebraska, and he says that sometimes. He makes about as much like doing that as he does with his roll-off business. So I was like, oh, that's like kind of interesting. So I started like digging into it. Um, the more I dug into it, the less I liked it because the payouts for what you do is like really similar to roll-offs. But so you might be, you might do like a, just like a 20 mile trip. And you might get like a hundred to like 120 bucks or something like that. I don't, I'm, I'm not exactly sure because a, a lot of the stuff um, you'd have to call and find out what they pay. I wasn't like that interested. Or you have to sign up for a load board, which I don't want to do that. But that's kind of like what I got just reading some forums. I mean, it doesn't really pay that much. Um, but the thing is, you have to like sit there while they load up your trailer and like sit there while you dump your trailer. So that's not like a lot of money for the time. The other thing is overhead with semis is a lot. Um, obviously, higher higher maintenance costs, higher fuel, dealing with like uh, all of the DOT stuff. Um, it's a lot more intense if you have a semi, obviously. Um, the things I have to deal with just with my little roll-off setup is a lot, and I'm not even like over CDL. Uh, so my buddy was telling me like he had to do a safety audit. They came to his house and like questioned him for like an hour at his house. I went over his documents and then the next day they went to his shop and like examined like four or five of his trucks. It's like, that's insane. It took him all day. Um, each thing took like his whole day. So I don't like that. Um, but what I do like is if you can broker loads. If you are somebody who had like a logistics background of some sort, you could get your license, your authority to broker loads. That would be a little bit different, uh, but that's not something you can just jump into. There's a lot of, it takes a lot to get into that. It's not something that you can really be an outsider and get into very easily. So uh, I don't really like that at all. Uh, I don't think that trucking is a good business. Now, obviously, there is people that have trucking businesses that do very well, but the majority of it, there's too many people with their hands in the pot. So by the time you actually get a load, it's going to be, you're going to be getting like a fraction of what it actually pays because 
when people start out, they have to go through like a broker or a job board or something like that. So by the time you actually get get it, you're not making very much. And you can go on YouTube, but there's people who document like their trucking career as an owner operator. It's actually depressing. I mean, these people are out on the road all month and they make like $3,000. I mean, that's, you could literally be a manager at Burger King and do better than that. Not to mention it's stressful and it's insanely dangerous. Being a truck driver is one of the most dangerous jobs you can have. Um, so that's a big no for me. I would stay away from that completely. If you want a trucking business, do dumpsters. And even dumpsters is a hassle too, you know. We don't need to get into that, but that's a big no for, for your boy. Boy says no. Run. Do not walk. Run. And people are like, well, there's got to be opportunities. There's like a labor shortage. There's so much. It's like, yeah, there's a labor shortage because trucking companies don't pay. Trucking doesn't pay anything. My grandfather was a union truck driver. He was making about $60,000 in 1985. You know what? It, how much you can make being a truck driver in 2021? 37 years later? Oh, like 70. <laughs> That's not good, folks. So my next one is uh, is better, frankly, it is better, and that is doing a party rental business. Could be a side hustle. I actually really like this one. Um, and there's a bunch of have I already talked about this? This seems really familiar, but I'll dive into it again if you forgot about it because I think it's a good one. And if you want to get into it, now's the time to be buying the stuff. Buy the stuff, get out there, start renting it to the folks. But what it is, is you buy the main thing is inflatables, like inflatable jump houses, inflatable slides. That's the main stuff. That's the most, I think, popular stuff. So you buy these things. And from, basically from what, what I've seen is you buy it and then you rent it out for one to 3% of like your purchase price. So the most basic thing is like a, like a big square jump house. Where the kitties get in there and they jump around. Probably everyone's seen this. So they cost it like 1500 bucks, I think. And you rent it out for a day for 150 bucks. Now, as the as the uh, owner, you go out, you set it up, and then you take it down. Now, something like a jump house to set up and tear down isn't really that big of a deal, I don't think. Because they... They just inflate, but you do have to like get them rolled up correctly. And the other thing is you have to, they have to like be clean, but I don't really think it's like that big of a deal uh, with those. Now there's more, there's other ones that are more, uh, have more parts like double slides and all that. And they cost more, obviously you rent them out for more. <laughs> but the other thing that I, that I looked at that I thought was really good is like, is renting out tents for like events. Because renting out tents is extremely expensive. Um, you know, it could be like the first three days is $500, and then it's like $100 a day after that. Now, the prices are like kind of all over the board. Um, there's real, like established party rental-like businesses that are big, and they tend to be on the high end. And then there's people that, that do it that like don't have any insurance, and that 
they'll rent out stuff for like a hundred bucks. They'll rent out like a jump house and a table and like a set of chairs for $150. But at the same time, those people aren't really advertising. They're just advertising on Facebook, like in the Facebook marketplace. So I think there's a definitely, I mean, it, it, obviously it's profitable. It only takes you a couple hours to set them up. You could go set up like four in a day. That'd be $600. Um, so I do think it's profitable. The other thing, too, uh, is if they're properly maintained, those things can last a long time. You know, if you're cleaning them, folding them up correctly, and doing all the right things. Now, I don't know what insurance is like on running a jump house or a bounce house. You have to look into that. Um, but let's say it's... Well, I have no idea. I was going to ballpark, but I don't really know. It's probably not like a ton. Just You just need general liability. Um, all the like contracting businesses I've ever had, the general liability is like fairly slow. Um, liability and stuff, obviously, I'm, like a, a dumpster business or trucking is higher. But let's say it's like $400 a month. Well, if you rent, if you have one thing that you rent out um, a week, you'd still be in the, the positive. But ideally, you'd like to have four or five different things that you could rent out. And this could easily be something that you do on the side. Because it's mostly just all weekends. And it's like usually usually for like the jump houses, you don't leave stuff overnight. Um, you, you set it up, tear it down. But this is something that you could be, you know, for $5,000, that would buy you like three or four things. Um, I think a table and chairs would be a great thing to have because it's simple. And they fold up into like nothing. Um, so I do like that. I like the inflatable, the party rental stuff. You know, you just probably just store it in a storage unit. That's a pretty, like, that's an easy entry business. But along with the easy entry, you get uh, a lot more competition, frankly. So that's good. So I would say yes to that one. If that's something that you, like, want to do, you want to get into, you just have to make sure that things are, like, tied down. You know, the worst thing is if they're, and you don't rent it out when it's really windy. You know, those are the biggest things. And you get a contract. You know, in case something gets stolen, then you're not on the hook. So trucking, no. This one, yes. Um, and then the, another one that I think is good. And this is more of an investment property is a car wash. I think that, a, and I'm not talking about something insane with the auto, like automated with tracks and all that. I'm just talking about like a building with a couple bays, coin operated or card operated with the sprayer. Because then you're just, you have property with that, which is hopefully, uh, which the land is hopefully increasing in value because you're going to want this in a halfway decent place. And then you're just selling people water. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. And it's that's pretty passive. You have to go once a week to get the quarters. But every spray off place I've ever been to is like pretty busy. Um, because now, like, a lot more people have pickup trucks. And a lot more people, like, also like their trucks lifted and big tires and stuff. And even my truck, I don't think I could. My truck's not lifted or anything. But I'm not sure I could take it through an actual car wash. Especially if it's, like, super muddy. They don't appreciate that. So that's when you have to do a spray-off. And also, I take my roll-off trailer to a spray-off place. So there's definitely, like, a market for it. And the buildings are just... I mean... 
I think you could build one for pretty inexpensive too. Like building a five base storage unit. So I think if you had the opportunity to buy one of those in a good place, that would be a good thing. There was one for sale in Omaha for like forever on like Fort Street. And I always saw it. And it was like actually pretty, it was reasonably priced. And I, I never thought about it. But it's like every time my mom kind of lives over there, every time I drive by there, there's people getting washing their car. And all you have to do is just pay the mortgage on the property and pay the uh, the taxes and then your overhead of water. This isn't rocket science, folks. So if you have an opportunity or if you're looking for something, I think that that would actually be better than a rental house because I think there'd be less to deal with. Honestly, frankly. So those are my three critiques. Not the best. The trucking one, that didn't really hit, I don't think. I think that party rental one, that is that is intriguing. I did look at that. Because it's like, it kind of goes like with the, the dumpsters. Because it's like, with the dumpsters, you're already like out driving around town. Um, I know some other guys that have dumpster businesses that have the, dump, the trailer set up. And they do party rentals. And they use the bed of the truck to haul the party rental stuff. It's like, that's actually is smart. So that would go nicely hand in hand. So those are your three critiques. Hopefully I got the brain going. Hopefully I was able to entertain a little bit. Hopefully you were able to live, laugh, love. By God on this cold day. I just want to warm you up, warm your soul, put a little smile on that face. God, it gives me something to do when I'm out driving around dropping off these dumpsters. Really good stuff. For those of you who are interested, I don't, maybe you are. See a show of hands? Um starting an additional podcast it's called the Omaha Real Estate Report <laughs> I'm just going to be giving you a weekly update and then we're going to be talking a little bit about I always think that the most interesting thing <laughs> is I like to look at the the highest thing that I sold in the last week and the lowest thing and compare them side by side and I gotta tell you I'm always something's wrong with my brain I'm always, like, way more intrigued by the thing that was the lowest sale than the highest. Because I was like, I'm always like, well, where, where, where was I? What the hell was I doing? I think last week or the week before, there's a little, a town outside of Omaha called Wahoo, Nebraska. It's where the top ten list was written for David Letterman. That's its big claim to fame. Um, funny guy must have lived there. <laughs> Real funny. Um... And it's kind of like a little boom town. It's a nice little, like, farming community. Um, they're building a bunch of new houses out there. They just built, like, a new lake out there. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty short drive to West Omaha. And there's a, a house for sale downtown. Two bedroom, one bath. It was for sale for, like, 55000 It was on the market for, like, 20 days. Somebody scooped that bad boy up for forty grand. Now you can rent out houses in Wahoo. You can probably rent that out for six fifty or eight hundred dollars. That's a good return. Yeah, it's a damn good return. Now, usually the, the most expensive houses are usually weird, really weird, really tacky. There is a house that just sold. I don't think it just sold. Sorry, it's just it just listed a while ago. <laughs> it's like the guy who owned it owned a window business, like the one of the biggest window companies. Uh, in the nation 
and their claim to fame was, and this is kind of what Omaha's known for, they had a huge call center and they would just cold call people and sell them windows with installation. It was called Pace Center. It's out of, out of business. The guy sold it and it went out of business. That was like 20 years ago. I think, I think the guy has passed away. But it was the house that I think he built. And he's... I believe the guy was one of the biggest, like, modern art collectors. And he was the biggest modern art collector, I believe, in the Midwest. One of the biggest in the country. The house reflected that. It was extremely strange. I mean, it was built specifically for that guy. And that's the way a lot of, like, really high-end houses are. You know, it's like... You have to, buy, like, find a specific person. That's why, like... And we're in Omaha, Nebraska. I think the, I think the price tag on it was $5.2 million. $5.2 million in Nebraska? Come on, now? Um, but it's like, you have to be a real specific kind of person to be interested in that. So usually the, the higher ones, it's kind of funny because you look at them and you're like, think it's going to be awesome. And you're like, what is what am I looking at here? And, and I think part of that house to like use as an art gallery so it's like, what is this? Someone lives here? It looks like an office building. But if you're interested in that, I'd love to sell it. I love, Daddy would love that paycheck. So anybody that's into modern art and uh, that kind of architecture, give me a shout. Andy, don't sleep on you, boy. If you're interested at all, let me know. But we're doing that. And then another segment I think that's going to be really fun is every week I'm going to go a deep dive into a neighborhood. And this week I'm doing the Leavenworth neighborhood, which I didn't even know was a real thing. Uh, it's basically downtown by the by Midtown Crossing in Mutual of Omaha. For you out-of-towners, Mutual of Omaha is a gigantic uh, insurance company. And uh, real good stuff. Real good. So we do a deep dive. We get some of the flavor. We talk about some of the restaurants iconic really I gotta say in, in Omaha Nebraska we know how to eat you know I go to Las Vegas quite frequently and people are always like you gotta try this restaurant you gotta try this and I most of them suck most of them are totally garbage there's only one place I really like if you're in if you're in Las Vegas and you just want like something normal because a lot of them are like here's our take on a hamburger and you're like what the fuck is this one of the best places I've ever eaten there, it's in the MGM Grand. It's like Wolfgang Puck's Burger Place or whatever. It's on the gaming floor. It's near the back of the building. And it's like reasonably priced. It's still expensive. You're still in Las Vegas. Reasonably priced. And it's just, you can just get a regular hamburger or cheeseburger or bacon cheeseburger and fries and like a drink. And it's just normal. <laughs> it's not, one time we were at the Wynn. Don't ever eat at the Wynn, Okay. One time we were at the Wynn, and uh, my wife ordered a burger, and they were like, this is our, our take on a burger. And it literally looked like the burger had been dragged through swamp water. It was the weirdest thing I ever seen. I projectile vomited. No, I ate it. Um, not the burger, not the vomit. <clears throat> it's like, when you're down that much money, I was eating off of other people's plates after they got up. No, we fared fine. We fared fine. Um, so anyway, we're going to be talking about oil real estate. And uh, even if you don't live in Omaha, uh, I'm kind of starting a new thing where I'm getting lots of calls from uh, California, Colorado, the East Coast of people like wanting to do uh, remote 
long long distance investing. So we're going to be uh, talking about some uh, investment properties, multi-units that might be appealing to you. So if you're listening to this and you're uh, living somewhere where you're priced out of the market and you'd like to get involved in some real estate, give it a listen. See Omaha, see, uh, yeah, Omaha Real Estate Report. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. I love coming into your homes and just uh, putting a smile on that face. Anyway, I appreciate your time. God bless you. Share the show. Keep listening. Keep listening. Thank you.